Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing Growing Up Trekkie. It's our 20th episode. It is our 20th episode. I don't know if anyone heard the hashtag in my Growing Up Trekkie, but I feel like there was one. Hashtag Growing Up Trekkie. <laughs> is that a hashtag that's been around? Can we start I, it? I think we should start it. <laughs> or awesome. co-opt it if, if it already exists. It's ours now. We wanted to wait to episode 20 to introduce ourselves. <laughs> that, that's how it goes, you know. No, so, no, I think, <laughs> you know, you establish that you have something to talk about before you talk about yourself. Then you talk about yourself incessantly. <laughs> okay, that's a good plan. No, but I do think, uh, I think it is a good way to introduce ourselves through, you know, our discussions, but then give a little context. Yes, I agree. So, how did you discover Star Trek? All right, I have a pretty good story here. <laughs> Anyone who uh, has seen me at conventions or or uh, heard me on another podcast or in talked to me <laughs> um, has probably <laughs> heard. But here it is again because it's a good story. So, my father uh, was a professor of the theatrical arts uh, at Wesleyan University. And one of his students decided to put on Star Trek, an episode of Star Trek, uh, Balance of Terror, to be specific, uh, as his senior thesis. Uh, He quote unquote adapted it for the stage. I'm not sure and, much ad- adaptation no, is necessary. No, the the purpose of it being a balance of terror is that it's a bottle episode that takes place in like two locations. Yeah. Um, so so it was a it was a talkie talk. Yes. But then you know he directed it and he was in it. I believe he played Spock, but this was like a billion years ago, so I don't actually have many memories other than it happened and you know there was like a scrim to give and they, they would they had commercial breaks with like these two people who would come out and do a coffee commercial it was great it was, it was amazing theatrical performance that was crazy and very wesleyan uh you know here's like a super nerd you know, other <laughs> things other things that come out of wesleyan are like hamilton it was his senior project i was a kid so yeah. uh my dad thought oh this is a weirdo thing well, i'll bring my daughter to it and, uh, and then I found out that it was actually a television series and that there were many, many episodes. <laughs> um, there were, you know, more than one television series because uh, TNG was, was out. Yes. So, so uh, <laughs> you know, I, that, then I started watching, like, Star Trek. <laughs> and uh, and the, so the first episode on television that I saw was Data Lore, <laughs> which, is, which is a terrible episode. <laughs> But, and I didn't even see the beginning. I, I came in towards the end when they were telling Wesley to shut up on the, on the bridge. It's like literally the, the last like 15 minutes maybe of the episode. Yeah, yeah, that's the climax. And, and like the first thing in Star Trek I heard on television, not a uh, weird senior thesis, was people telling Wesley to shut up. <laughs> But then after that, what, what happened is uh, his mom believed him and, and went to investigate. And then, uh, you know, they're like trapped by lore and he pulls a phaser on them uh, or he threatens Wesley and, and Beverly pulls a phaser first. And yes. she says, you know, you're you step away from my son. And, and I was like, oh, I love her. So, yeah. But they, it was it was a strange road to Star Trek, but I was hooked pretty much right away. How old were you when you saw the senior thesis? I, I was under ten, but maybe nine. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's about the age I was when I got into TNG. But my mother was a Trekkie, and she used to. I think I might be a third generation Trekkie because she used to watch it with her dad in the late sixties and early seventies on a tiny black and white television. So the 80s rolled around and my parents, weirdly for them, bought a a VCR very early on. And I remember 
they rented Encounter at Farpoint and watched it on a rainy Sunday afternoon. And I was sort of in and out of the room listening to them talk about it. Oh, it's not very good. It's very slow. I don't understand why the captain is bald now. And I was thinking, well, this is some boring adult nonsense. And then a couple of years later, Dad tried again. He rented Would Have Been Skin of Evil. And I was around and he said, oh, Elizabeth, this might be something you'd enjoy. And I got as far as Tasha dying and I was out. No, thank you. <laughs> That's a terrible first episode. He wasn't to know. No, of course. <laughs> Aww. But uh, I think it was maybe just six months later that it was finally on Australian television at 7.30 at night as a summer, you know, summer filler in the non-ratings period. And uh, I happened to catch, uh, gosh, I can't even remember which episode it was exactly. Don't think it was Data Law, but they were shown out of order, so it's impossible to say. And I happened to sit down as Beverly was speaking and I was like, oh, this is a woman with red hair. I was a tiny redhead and she's confronting the captain and getting into an argument and not getting in trouble for it. I think I'd like to see more of that. And then the week, the next week rolls around and I'm out cycling with my friends on the street. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's after 7.30. The sun's going down and I'm missing Star Trek. So I went in and it, we were halfway through the Arsenal of Freedom and Beverly was about to tell Jean-Luc there was something she had been meaning to tell him. <laughs> and I was hooked. Like, <laughs> that was it. Like Picard crushes shipper for life at age nine going on ten. Absolutely. Mm. And then the next episode I caught was the Dauphin, which doesn't even have Beverly in it. So, you know, it was a, it was a difficult road. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was uh, I was very distraught about the lack of Beverly. I think I, I mentioned in an earlier episode that I wrote to them yes. <laughs> and, to and told them that I was very upset. And they wrote back. And they wrote back and told me it was going to be okay. She was coming back. I should calm down. Calm down, small child. <laughs> it was a very positive, like, Next Generation was a very positive experience for me. It, it you know, got me through, like, middle school and high school. And yeah, stuff. same. And uh, I think that uh, it really shaped the way I, I, I've always been very hopeful and, you know, believed that uh, everybody should get a, a fair shot. <laughs> Yes, and and do what they are meant to do, and uh, and that should be good enough. And I think that Star Trek helped. I, I Wesleyan University also helped growing up at a Connick College campus. Oh yeah, in uh, in super liberal New England. <laughs> I really do think that Star Trek helped me see the world as um, bigger than me, and 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 very open. Yes. I didn't think of it as particularly remarkable at the time. I just thought that's what the adult world was like. And this just happened to be the adult world in space. <laughs> my dad, after, like, after introducing me to Star Trek, my dad then never mentioned Star Trek again. <laughs> like, he, was, <laughs> he was not a fan. And he, he, but he was sort of uh, entertained that I was, you know, and, and really supportive of it. Uh, but it was, it was definitely something I watched with my brothers. Yes. Um, and with my friends, like for all good things, we definitely had like a party <laughs> that like we with themed food and, you know, it was a big deal to, to watch the finale of, of Star Trek Next Generation. It was, it was, uh, and you know, one of my, one of my friends, um, I don't know if it was a graduation gift. I, I assume it was a graduation gift. He gave me a plate of, with Captain McCart on it. <laughs> That I still have above my sink in the kitchen. And, you know, there was, I was like, it was like kind of, you know, it was like the Franklin Mint or whatever plate. I remember. And it was a huge deal because we were all, you know, you don't have like a lot of money when you're a teenager. And so I don't know how much it was, but it was more than I expected to get a gift. I remember looking at those in Starlog magazine and thinking, that's for rich people. Yeah, exactly. Like anything over $20 is a huge deal. Yeah. So, so it was like, wow. 
And so it was, it was really like I had a, a, a group of friends that was really into it, and, I, and um, my brothers were, were very into it. I remember watching uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 1 with my brothers. Mm. And I feel like it was, I don't know what, because it was uh, syndication, and so I have no idea what time it was on. And we didn't have cable, so it was like, it was on Fox 61, I know that. <laughs> um, but I don't remember what time... But I just remember we were all sitting on the floor, like a foot away from the television, <laughs> and it went to to be continued, and we were just like, "What?" Like, like huge, huge reaction. Of, <laughs> that is not how things are supposed to happen, and you know, having to wait the whole summer to, oh. to find out what happened. It was it was terrible. It was like this is. This is what we're going to be talking about for three months. What What is going to happen next? I've read that the best of both worlds cliffhanger was basically what triggered the beginning of online fandom, which was very, very small and already talking about Star Trek, but that was when it suddenly exploded into something much larger than what, had, what it had been previously. Oh, that's, that's a great trivia thing that I absolutely believe. Uh, I had a completely different experience with Best of Both Worlds because uh, we just sort of, we recorded it on television. It was years behind the US and aired very, very late at night, like 11 p.m. So we were experts at setting the timer on the VCR. And then if we had some spare money, dad would rent a video. And one day he came home with the Best of Both Worlds and it was part one and two. So there was no <laughs> cliffhanger. Oh, you, you. <laughs> You were saved. <laughs> in fact, it was before Q Who had even aired in Australia. So we were like, Borg? Okay, whatever. And, <laughs> you know, I think this is why my parents don't really care for serialised television because they grew up with this mishmash of, you know, Australian networks will just throw episodes into the air and air them in whatever order they fall. It was like, you know, eventually it was like that here too, where mm. it was whatever, whatever channel got it. I think it was like TNT or something, but they never seemed to have all the episodes and they would just be in whatever random order they felt like showing. And it was also like more than one series. So there would be like an episode of Next Generation and then an episode of Voyager and then another episode of Next Generation that had like nothing to do with each other. And where, you know, one was like from season two and then it was like season five and it, could, it, would, it didn't make any sense. Treated more like wallpaper than a cohesive story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so I can't imagine like, like that. Of course, I don't live in Australia, so uh, I, I live in America. So it's uh, I got it regular, regular way. Oh, the um, dream. But so yeah, that's crazy, and that and like next generation, it would it would sort of be okay. There aren't a lot. There are some through lines, but it's not like hugely yeah, yeah. <laughs> serialized. But some of the others, like Deep Space Nine, the middle of Deep Space Nine, there's like twelve episodes in a row that are basically to be continued, <laughs> and I can't yeah. imagine watching them out of order and knowing what's going on. I think my parents, certainly my mother, just gave up on Deep Space Nine after a point because, one, it didn't really appeal to her emotionally, but, two, she just couldn't follow it. But she likes Discovery, so if she can watch it in order, she will. How did you discover fandom as such? Okay, I went to college when I, again, like, during high school and and before um i i had like friends they were my mm. my regular friends that i saw in school and we were all in theater together and we were all in the same classes together and we you know we did everything together and one of those things was star trek so i don't really consider that fandom because we it was like we were friends already yeah you would have been tagging out anyway so we definitely like celebrated star trek together but that was just sort of another thing but then in college, I found online groups. I was sort of on the fringes of Star Trek, uh, like alt Star Trek creative or whatever. Like, I don't remember what they were. Was it Usenet? They were like mailing lists that yeah, were, that were, Usenet. it was like a, 
message board slash mailing list something or other. And that was too intense for me. I couldn't really handle that stuff. <laughs> so I had to go a little more niche. And I found Jupiter Station, which was ah. a, a web page and that had its own message board and mailing lists and community that was dedicated to shipping Captain Janeway and Tom Paris. Yes. Also known as my absolute Star Trek OTP when I was young. Def- like, I, I also was a huge Picard and Crusher fan, but um, TNG was over by the time I found like online stuff. Yes. Yeah, so it was Voyager and it was Janeway Paris. And that they had other little communities that were related to Voyager, but that was my main one. Like that was those were the people that, and again, there was a message board that was part of the web page, and there were um, mailing lists that would share fic, and then I would like just like meet up with other people, like, and we would have smaller little ex- email exchanges that were just like two or three of us. I did. I didn't really do like uh, chats or anything, but I did a lot of email. There yeah, were, there were there were basically chats because it was like responding quickly and and doing things back and and forth, and so that was huge. And then yeah. out of that, I made my own web page dedicated to Voyager, and it was called CatherineIsLonely.com. I love it, and uh, and it was it was dedicated to shipping Captain Janeway with everyone on Voyager and off what? Voyager. Obviously. Obviously. It, I, I put my, my fanfiction there and I made really horrible uh, art kind of, you know, <laughs> like t- took two screen cats and shoved them together and did like a screen effect and, and said, ooh, look at this beautiful thing I made. But there was one where I took a picture of Tom Paris and I, and the Eiffel Tower and I put them together <laughs> and thought I was brilliant. Uh, I laughed. <laughs> so, uh, and then I had like, I assigned them all songs, like every relationship I had a little discussion of each relationship and then I would assign them songs I would talk about what the fans thought of them and then what the what happened what the canon version was it was I took this very seriously it was a huge chart you sound a slightly self-disparaging but this is basically <laughs> what you do on tumblr right now I know and then, right exactly and 25 years later I am still doing this <laughs> you find a winner and you stick with it <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, then it was great. And I, I had all sorts of people, you know, we, those early web days, this was on GeoCities. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and we, you know, everybody had a, uh, what's it called? Where you write your name in like a guest, there was a guest book and you would oh, write your yes. name. And I was always so excited to get new people in my guest book and they would like, you know, write something nice about the site or say, oh, I, my, my uh, favorite person for Janeway is Chakotay, you know, and have like this little, it was just, it was super cute and great and I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I had a similar website. My first website was leolaroot.iscool.net. I read about fic and shipping before I actually encountered it. I read a book about, you know, Star Trek fandom and what it is and what it does. In I think I was about 12 when I read it and, and they talked about KS shipping, Kirk Spock. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting, but I don't think I'm into that. And uh, a few years later, my best friend had just gotten the internet at home. So naturally, we called up, I want to say links. It might have been asked Jeeves and... We typed in Star Trek Voyager, and among the results we got was the JC Index, which wasn't a fic archive, it just linked to all of the fic that people would submit on their own personal GeoCities-style websites. And I was like, oh, I've read about this, but I didn't know you could do it for het couples. And I was a big Janeway Chakotay shipper, so I was, I was, I was gone. That was it. That was it for me. And uh, a couple of years after that, I discovered that you could also ship women with women. What? Oh, Magic. 
And I, I felt so cheated that all this time I was only reading about Slash and dudes and there were so many women out there. So I completely I... understand. I, I once joined a, I don't know if it was a contest or an exchange or something, but I was supposed to be writing a story about Seven of Nine and Harry Kim. It was like a Seven of Nine and Harry Kim romance request or prompt or I don't know. Um, but I, so I wrote my, my story and I was very pleased with it. It was like this mm. cute, cute little story about how, uh, um, they go on a picnic together and she asks all these questions about relationships and what it means and what's dating. And, and so I handed it in and I was very happy and I kept like waiting, you know, watching my inbox to see when it would be sent to everybody. And then I got a response from the moderator <laughs> and they were like, this is a, a lovely story that we really like, but it's not a Jane, it's not a uh, Seven and Kim story. It's a Seven and Janeway story. <laughs> and you should, you know, you need, you need to submit something that fits the prompt with the correct relationship. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Janeway isn't even in this thing. <laughs> she looms large. <laughs> but um, but I apparently had written Seven being in love with Janeway and talking to Harry about, you know, her feelings for for Janeway and how and what that means. And that that like they because the, I think it was, it was named, I think I love somebody. And they were like, the somebody is Janeway. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not Harry. You need to rewrite this. <laughs> so, apparently, I was writing Femme Slash without meaning to. I'm so impressed. <laughs> they, I will say that um, the first fic that I wrote was pre-sending it to online people mm. was, you know, handwritten in little exam booklets because, again, I grew up in a university, so I had little blue books oh. that, that uh, would, you know, my father would be like, we can't use these because someone wrote the first two pages, but I just took those out, and so, you know, do whatever you want with these. And I was like, oh, Star Trek <laughs> fan fiction, cool. Of course. And also, like, all my pens were, like, purple you know, so yeah, I just want to give you a good visual on this blue exam booklet and purple ink. And I wrote like pages and pages of Beverly Crusher backstory. Oh, nice. Because there wasn't any. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, you know, that that's what I was interested in. So it was like Beverly Crusher when she was my age. And mm. all of the things that she was feeling, which were all of the things that I was feeling. Of course. Of course. So, you know, in a way, Beverly Crusher was my Mary Sue. I, when I was about 12, I sat down to write a tie-in novel. And I hand wrote it on scrap paper discarded from my dad's honours thesis. And it was about a beautiful intelligent charming federation ambassador named Rhiannon after the Fleetwood Mac song and uh, she was there to negotiate peace on some moon blah 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 but she was actually there to reconcile Picard with Wesley post the first duty and ensure that Picard and Beverly got together nice and then she was going to I think uh, not die but sacrifice her mainstream federation career to live and work on this moon instead but i only wrote two pages my mum said they were good that's right i'm sure they're great and then i learned to hide them better <laughs> I, you know, again no one in my family was interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> like, they could easily find my fan fiction now and they will not but but that's okay because the people the people who want to read it or, you know, that's my audience. It's good. Mm. Uh, that um, was going to be my next question because I'm sure that my brother could easily find my fic and he is my Trek buddy. So, Jules, please don't find my fic. <laughs> my, my brothers are my Trek buddies too. My brother who uh, now lives in California, so he's across, across the country from me, 
we would exchange, we now exchange all sorts of texts about um, Discovery, you know, once we finally watch it, um, both of us, and uh, and have all sorts of conversations about that, which I, I you know, it, it's great. It's like, I, I love that I'm still sort of watching with my brother, even yes. though it's far, far away. And the, and my youngest brother, uh, he was my, my main Star Trek buddy, um, where I brought him to convention and uh and we, he he was <laughs> he was a member of the will we in fan club that's amazing yes when so he was like you know five or six <laughs> and and i was you know 14 and he was a member of the will we in fan club and uh got these like a, a one big poster and then three you know, eight by 10 glossies and we hung them up together and like had this whole, it was very exciting. (laughs) Like, so whenever people are like, you know, no one likes Wesley and I'm like, oh no, the people who are supposed to like Wesley, who are the six year old boys and the 14 year old girls really like Wesley. Yeah. (laughs) This is why I'm so excited for the animated spinoff that's coming about a bunch of teenagers who find and commandeer an abandoned starship. Like, I love I love stuff like YA media, but I just, as a teenager, as a kid, I would have adored that concept. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And with Discovery being much darker and more violent than previous Treks, I think it's really good that that's not going to be the only option. Yeah. My daughter is, is 14, and that's really, like, on the edge of where Discovery is okay. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't want my ten-year-old daughter to watch it. You know, like I was thinking just the other day that I was only twelve when, and my brother would have been seven when we watched Chain of Command Part Two, Oof. and like no fault of my parents because they had no idea I was yeah. the only one who was aware that this was a super intense episode coming up. So <laughs> that's on me. Well, but even you know, it's sort of like the the difference is that. Discovery is like ninety percent chain of command, yeah, and and TNG is ninety percent not. So there, there's a and I don't I don't think that that's bad. I'm not, that's not a criticism of Discovery. We're on the record. We love Discovery, except right. for the bits we don't love, which we've covered <laughs> ad nauseum. I'm just saying that I'm I'm comfortable with my. She Eris was uh, thirteen when she started watching Discovery and I'm comfortable with that. It was, that's like the age that I said that it would be okay for her to watch Game of Thrones as long as she watched it with me. Yeah. So, and and also like my, the, my daughter, like her favorite movie for many, many years was Jurassic Park, you know, which she saw when she was like five. <laughs> and and she's fine. <laughs> so, so she like, you know, she'd seen like every Marvel superhero movie and stuff. So she was at PG-13 level already, I guess is what I'm saying, before she became 13. So so 13 was when I was like, okay, now you can be R. <laughs> but, uh, but that's me and that's my daughter. Like I always say, you know your kids. So you, you have to make the decision about what's appropriate for, for your children. And it's not really on the media. You know, I... I uh, I'm off on a tangent here, clearly, but so I will stop. I am not going to to go there. But my point is, I'm glad that there's going to be something that any kid can watch. Yeah, yeah, and I think I feel like parenting as a Trekkie is an equally interesting subject uh, to uh, as growing up Trekkie. And since it's not one that I can talk about, I, I'm very happy to listen to you. Okay, <laughs> I will say, um, my daughter, she was introduced to Star Trek with the 2009 movies, which when I say that, it's like, well, she was born in 2005, so wow, she was four <laughs> when she saw that movie. But she loved it. She loved Spock so much. She, and she loved all of the Spocks, like little Spock, Spock, and old Spock, as she put it, because there, there are three in that movie. And she hugely loved Spock. And then, so then I was like, oh, well, then let, you know, here's, <laughs> let me introduce you to some more Spock. And so I showed her uh, Trouble with Tribbles and 
again, because she loved dinosaurs, uh, we showed her Arena, because there was a dinosaur in there. Yes. And, uh, and like, the uh, Shore Leaf, because it was, like, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, in, and it was, it was great. And, and having seen Trouble with Tribbles, we also watched the animated Tribble one, like, more, yes. more Tribbles or whatever that one is. And then we also watched the Deep Space Nine. You know, we kept it, we kept it going, and, and so... I apologize for my cat. She clearly doesn't <laughs> like tribbles, but it was it was a it was a, it was a good way. You know the, that first movie excited her, and then I was able to to show her all the other all the other things. Yes, um, even at such a young age, even though she was five when when she started, uh, you know those TOS move the episodes were fine for getting her into it you know you open show like all of them because some no, of them she'd no. be bored, like balance of terror she'd be bored out of her mind but um but... i find balance of terror a bit boring <laughs> these days it's it's more exciting when it's live you have to appreciate it in the original klingon <laughs> but i think that star trek can be really great for families i think is my point with all of this is that i enjoyed it with my little brother i enjoyed it with my daughter and it, it's a it's a great thing yeah it was something that we watched as a family to the dismay of my sister the only non-trekkie among us and it was something that we talked about and I think we talked about it more than my parents would have liked I think they got a bit bored but you know my brother and I were really into the behind the scenes stuff and the the technical aspects of I don't know what my brother was into but I suspect it was the same as me the the process of writing Star Trek Star Trek was where I found out that television doesn't just happen you know people have to sit down and argue about what the story will be hmm yes I have, I have a I have one other my my cat going crazy has uh, reminded me yes that the first pet I ever got that was mine we had lots of pets growing up. You know, I have always had pets. Cats, dogs, turtles, gerbils, lizards, every kind of pet you could possibly have. We had one. But the first one that was mine was a puppy, a little beagle, I got in seventh grade. And I named him Tribble. What a good name. He was, he was a terrible dog, but I loved him very much. And, and yes, he was trouble. I'm sure he was a good boy in his own way. Yes. All dogs are good boys, it, it, you know, part of the time. He was just really <laughs> untrainable, or else I was, we were terrible at training, which is very possible. And, you know, he would run away and, oh. <laughs> and, and run off, and we'd all have to chase him through, you know, through the field, through the woods, to the abandoned <laughs> houses. It was terrible. But we would call those Tribble Crusades. This sounds like something out of a Stephen King novel all of a sudden. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, but, yeah. So, it was a, he was a good dog. My good dog. Tribble. <laughs> we had a cat named Tiberius after James Tiberius Kirk. Oh. That was my brother's choice. But it was also because our mother was studying Roman history at the time. And we were very into you know, the Julio-Claudians. So this was a way of combining everything. Nice. Really, that's great. I like it. What was your first Star Trek convention? Oh, okay. My first Star Trek convention was right after Deep Space Nine premiered. So it yes. was January something. Like, literally, I'm, I'm saying Deep Space Nine, I think the second episode had aired. So, like, the right. pilot, the two-hour-long pilot, and then, like, the second episode. So... We knew nothing about Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and I'm sure there were other people at this convention, but the, one of, the person I remember was Alexander Siddig, <gasps> Julian Bashir. And so this was a, a Star Trek convention that was at a Marriott in Hartford. So it was, it was tiny. It was the kind where... There was a vendor's room and there was a ballroom where people talked and that was it. And my brother and I, my littlest brother, so I'm going to say I was like 15. I might not even have been 15, but I was 
we'll say 15. <laughs> and and he, so that would make him, I can math. I can't math. <laughs> He's nine years younger than me. <laughs> That's six. He's six. Yes. I, I can math. Hooray. Okay. So cut all that out. <laughs> I was 15 and he was six. And my father drove us to the hotel in Hartford and dropped us off and left. And so <laughs> we walked in and went to the Star Trek convention, like, because that's what we were there for. And I, I paid nothing. I, I did not get a, a ticket or a registration or I didn't even go to that table. I just wandered into the vendor's room with my small, <laughs> my, my, my six-year-old brother. Both of us are, are small, too, I should say. Like, <laughs> I was 15, but I, I looked like 12 at most. And, and my brother looked like a, a baby. <laughs> you know, he was, Aww. I mean, he was, he probably looked four. <laughs> so, so we were just wandering around the Star Trek convention. <laughs> but no one stopped us or, like, cared. <laughs> I think because they, they assumed that anyone that young had to have had a, an adult somewhere. Of course. And it was just, well, again, it was really small. It was just like two or three rooms. So we couldn't really get lost. And, it, they, you know, it, it was fine. Everything was fine. <laughs> but <laughs> what I remember is going up to Sidig and telling him that... Uh, he was destined to be my favorite character because I always liked the doctors. Yes. And then he said, you know, okay, so so, who, which of the doctors is your favorite? And I said, Dr. Crusher. And he said, why? And, and I said, because she reminds me of my mom. And he said, that's so sweet. And I said, yeah, she died two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the poor guy. Like, this is obviously his first convention because the show has been on for like two weeks. So... <laughs> And I, me and my little brother, like, you know, it's like, oh, look at these orphans who came to talk to me. <laughs> you know? And I feel so badly. But he was super nice and he and, and, and was like, oh, well, it's so wonderful of you to take care of your little brother. I'm sure she would have been really proud of you, you know, that you're you're doing you're doing so well. Oh, you know, and, and then he signed a, a photo for me mm. and, and handed it over and and uh you know told my brother to listen to me <laughs> while while we were walking around and uh and called him a little guy and, and like so my my so my brother like super remembers that like oh you know the, like so obviously he's our favorite Star Trek celebrity ever because he was so nice to us <laughs> when, we, when we were awkward children <laughs> And I don't remember anything else about that convention. Just that we snuck in. We paid nothing for nothing. And, <laughs> and I, like, you know, told poor Alexander Siddig my sob story. <laughs> and he was wonderful about it. Um, and, again, I, like, I was, like, 15, so I was like this. Like, I was probably trying to flirt with him or something, like it's from, and, but being terrible at it because I didn't know anything, and I was, you know, again, brought up my dead mother. So, <laughs> like, it's just, it's so embarrassing, but it's also, like, the sweetest, most wonderful story about meeting a Star Trek person because he was so I, good. I love it, yes. He was so good, and I forgive myself because I was a child. <laughs> And, and if you're going to lie awake at night worrying about the embarrassing things you did as a child, that's barely on exactly. the radar. Right. I, I, it, was, it was sweet. I mean, you know. Yes. At the, at the end of the day, it was embarrassingly sweet. <laughs> yes. I wonder if Alexander Siddig remembers this. I know. Like... <laughs> Do you remember your first convention? <laughs> Do you remember a small teenager who told you her mother was dead? That was me. <laughs> that would be even more embarrassing if I if I approached him with that now. Well, I think you could tell him how much it meant means to you that he was That's so true. gracious. It is true. In the face I, of a weird teenager, <laughs> but I'm your brother. Thank you for making my Star Trek convention, my first Star Trek convention, wonderful instead of terrible.
I mean, <laughs> I, it could have ruined Star Trek for me, really, if if you yeah. been mean about it, or you know. So I have never actually been to a proper dedicated Star Trek convention. Because by the time I could afford to go to the ones in Australia, I had sort of moved on from Star Trek fandom. And now I sort of keep an eye on their guest list. But it's still like $270. And last year, the guests were John Billingsley and the first, the first Ariam. And like, that's, that's, I, I would pay that money for Mary Chifo or Jane Brooke. I wouldn't pay that money for John Billingsley and Ariam. Right. So I've yeah I've been to Comic Con style conventions here and I run a small Wiscon style convention. Uh, the most members we've ever had is three hundred, but uh, N.K. Jemison said we had a really nice culture. Aww. But like I couldn't even get a Star Trek panel up this year. I was the only one who wanted to talk about it. Yeah, um, the first Wiscon I went to actually, I guess it was the second one I went to, but it was the the first one. Like I, I, this is the first year in five years I'm gonna say that I haven't been to WizCon. Oh, it's um, this weekend, isn't it? It is. It's this weekend. It's right now. Oh. And the first one I went to the in this one was actually the, because Wisconsin is a, is I can't drive there. I have to take a plane to get to WizCon, mm. and I I'm I also do not have <laughs> the three hundred dollars to to go to these conventions uh, willy nilly. Um, so I, what had not, you know, I'd never, uh, were, you know, I, I didn't go because it was too far away and too much of a commitment, but I always voted on the panels and, and stuff like that. And I don't know how I ended up on the panel. I must've said <laughs> I, I could have come, but so when they, they released the, the possible ones for, uh, for voting and, uh, no, it was, it was when they released the schedule. They released the schedule. These are the ones that made it, um, and they need panelists. They need more panelists to be on mm. them. And I was randomly on the Star Trek Voyager 20 years later panel. Oh, amazing. And I was the only one. So... In my head, I was like, oh no, if I don't go to WizCon and do this Voyager panel, then it will get cut and they won't have a Voyager panel. And that would, you know, they need a Voyager panel. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was ridiculous. But that, that was my, my logic was, you know, really it was just, this is my excuse <laughs> to, to commit to this convention. But it was great. And so I ended up moderating this Voyager panel as my first big my my first thing to do at WizCon was was moderate the Star Trek Voyager panel that's amazing like yeah. that th that was your first WizCon and you're already moderating I know <laughs> because I was very it was I was like dedicated to Voyager I was like I need the Voyager panel to happen because they yeah they don't have a lot of they had one last year for D Space Nine's anniversary mm. but Star Trek is like too mainstream for them <laughs> <laughs> so, so they didn't do a lot of uh, Star Trek I wound up on a Star Trek panel at Chicago TARDIS which is a Doctor Who convention and the only North American con I've ever been able to attend and uh, I basically got into a shouting match with a guy about whether or not Seven of Nine was a bad character uh, Seven of Nine is an amazing character that's what I said. Yeah, so he's wrong. <laughs> oh, yes. There was some woman shouting from the audience about Barbie of Borg. And I was like, excuse me, surely we have left that attitude back in the 90s where it belongs. And then I got back into Star Trek fandom and looked at Voyager fandom on Tumblr. And no, no, we have not left that attitude in the 90s. I think there are people on Tumblr who I used to argue on mailing lists with and they're still being wrong about the same things. It's... People, people form an opinion and it's difficult for them to, like, they start to watch the series from their p p opinion as opposed to what is actually there. That's yes. I, that's, that's how I see it. So it's, di it's difficult for, I, which is funny because I'm, you know, I rewatched Voyager 20 years later and, uh, and I see so many different things that I, they, yes. I, that I missed completely when I was... Or things that 
I was dimly aware of as a teenager but couldn't really articulate and right. now they seem much much more glaring right so it's it's interesting to me mm. I'm cur- so curious to see how fandom uh, takes the Picard series because there are so many people going well if we don't get cameos by the TNG crew then I'm just not going to watch and like I would love cameos I would love to know where the TNG crew are but I don't want the series to be about that I want it to be about Picard and new people and new adventures and I want it to be a launching point for a new phase of Star Trek's timeline and I just we've had one single teaser why are we already setting ourselves up for disappointment I know people are I mean part of it is that it's the way our our culture has become about you know the the fact that they have a teaser yes (laughs) there's the teaser and then there's the trailer and then you know it's there's they create the hype so that we you know the show isn't coming out for six months I know, so. I know. My flatmate and I, my flatmate has watched no TNG but all of Deep Space Nine and all of Discovery. So we're going to do a highlights tour through the next generation when she gets back from Europe next month. Fun times. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to it. She wants to start with Encounter at Farpoint. I've explained why you this know, is a bad idea. I mean, I, I, I made a list for my daughter to watch. And I did start with Encounter at Farpoint because... It's the first episode, um, mm. but I also the list is I, the list is fun because there are like you know there's the title and then there are my notes you know as to why I want her to watch this one you know and yes. for the first two seasons and and beyond they're, they're you know they're uh, let's see lower quality episodes throughout the run. Yes. Um, but they are still sort of important. Like, I so I have these little, you know, you have to watch this in order to understand the, like, Skin of Evil. I'm like, yeah. I, have, I have Skin of Evil. I'm like, this episode is bad. <laughs> but you have to watch it in order to understand Yesterday's Enterprise, which is good. <laughs> so, so you have to watch this one, sorry. <laughs> like, I have these little, these little notes. Yeah. Or, you know, like, this is, this is related to Deep Space Nine, and so you have to suffer through this in order to... <laughs> Or to get to the good stuff, that it will eventually be here. I have already been told to stop apologising preemptively for the next generation. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not the only one then. Oh no. I, she watched Encounter at Firepoint and she sent me little like uh, texts with captions, uh, you know, pictures of the screen with little captions and stuff. And, and they were great. Like she got to the end and she took a little picture and, of the, uh, and she said, I kind of like, I kind of dig these space jellyfish. I love that they're pink and blue, like the yeah, space jellyfish are heteronormative. <laughs> so, so you know, if you don't take it too seriously, even the really, really bad episodes can be, can be good. And I think looking back, one of the great things about Next Generation is that it does veer from quite terrible to absolutely extraordinary. And once you hit season three, the learning curve becomes so steep and it becomes a whole different show. Yeah. And I do love that. What were we talking about? Oh, the Picard series. Right. So I, yes. so I, bl- I guess what I'm saying is I blame the studio or the society that has created the need for the studio to release mm. these things in a way that makes us talk about it without actually telling us anything about anything um, in, in order to create the excitement. And I just have to sort of put up with the fact that there are just as many fans who are complaining as are excited i i guess my feeling is that it seems to like it was the teaser was released on the anniversary of all good things first airing and all the scenes with the picard's vineyards and so Mm. forth and finally he seems to have modernized the whole infrastructure of the vineyard which it's about time um it really does feel like a callback excuse me it feels like a callback to all good things and i really do think that it's very likely that when if we learn about the whereabouts of the TNG crew they'll be approximately where they were in all good things you know minus Mm -hmm. data because he's dead instead of cat hoarding in Cambridge and uh, hopefully Deanna is alive because Marina Sirtis is a joy 
that I'm, I'm really eager to learn about the new characters. Like, there's a Cat Cornwall-shaped hole in my heart, and I'm hoping that Michelle Hurd's character can can fill it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm... Right, I agree. I Because, again, those are the things that I'm interested in, are legacy characters and uh you know mm. it's like yes i i love all of these you know all these people in this crew but what happens next is really interesting you know yes so and it, it's like with the star wars sequels you know i'm really engaged with ben solo with kylo ren because he's leia's son but i also love ray and i love finn and i would not have expected to get so attached to these new characters but they walk onto the screen in The Force Awakens and it was like, oh, my heart just exploded. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good, that's a good thing to bring up because that's how I'm, I'm so terrified of when Picard um, premieres and there's a whole bunch of people who love the new characters and a whole bunch of people who are really, really angry at the series for quote unquote ruining Picard. And I just yes. don't even want to go there. I just don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to witness it. I'm just like, I'm preemptively upset about all the people who are going to be complaining about his out of character shenanigans. Yeah. I just, As if people I, stay the same for 30 years. Like, what? what is wrong with people? Well, it's like the idea that Luke Skywalker was out of character in The Last Jedi. And it's like, no, he's had experiences that we have not seen and they have changed him. Yeah. And he has always had that potential in him as a person. And he's following in the footsteps of his mentors, Yoda and Obi-Wan, and just taking himself away where he can't do any damage. And I think there's a terrible consistency in that. I think it's very tragic. But sometimes I like a bit of tragedy. Yep. I, re I recently answered a... a ask on, on Tumblr about that and gave a whole little whole spiel about how Leek's characterization is very true to Star Wars as a whole and mm -hmm. his Luke's specific characterization in Return of the Jedi it, it's, yes. it, it parallels it so yeah so yes. that's you know Picard I feel like uh, Picard apparently has, has gone through something terrible and that's gonna change him and that's okay and if it's a if it's gonna be like a kind of you know like a, a samurai movie where they go find the retired samurai who is the big hero and have to pull him back into the fight like that's a great story what's wrong with that story I know and I think the idea of Picard retiring to France and his family home and not being an explorer or a leader but still building something I think that is very hopeful and, and very consistent with TNG I don't think this is reflective of a failure on his part or anything so you know this is what I have from 30 seconds of footage and I guess I don't see the point in being negative this soon and yeah. as we know I'm an optimist I don't like being negative about stuff right I'm almost ready to start moving on. No, I'm not ready to start moving on from Cat. That was a lie. <laughs> I'm, I still have, you know, I've only watched, th this is a, a long time for me to have not watched any Star Trek. And uh, since the final episode of Discovery, I've only watched um, one episode of Enterprise Home uh, when, when we were just, getting ready to discuss mothers yes. I, wa I watched I watched home and that's the only, it's the only Star Trek I've watched since because I watched I, I started my blog post for maneuvers because I'm going to get back on the Star Trek blogging train and I was like I don't I don't remember how to do this I think I've left it too long uh, something something why is this episode so flawed <laughs> Do I have to talk about the flaws? Yeah. It's uh it's it's a, maneuvers, so I found some stuff to talk about. It's, it's quite the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good in so many respects. You know, you have this chess match between Chicote and Seska, and it's two people who are intelligent and also love and hate each other. 
at war. That's brilliant. Why is everything else so bad? Why is <laughs> Tuvok so mean? Yeah. Anyway, blog post coming in a few weeks. You'll see it. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. My cat is really vocal this uh, this week. And I've woken up my flatmate, so maybe we should wrap up. She has a lot of thoughts. Okay. Well, um, I, I would enjoy cat cask. Cat cast. <laughs> cat cast. Yes. Mm. Uh, Callie uh, is, is very, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, she, she just has a lot to say. But I, there's one more thing I want to bring up from my crazy Star Trek adolescence. And yes. that is my musical <laughs> that I wrote. Excuse me. <laughs> um, so <laughs> there, I, there were actually two. The first one was All Good Things as a musical. Mm-hmm. Which was great. It was, uh, it was, you know, I, I, this is how I wrote quote unquote musicals when I was a, in high school with my, again, this same group of, of friends. Yes. We would write the text and, uh, then we would find songs from actual Broadway musicals that had been written and every once in a while pop stars. Yes. And we would put, you know, we would maybe change the words a little bit but so mm. it was a, it was a new musical made up of many old musicals like Moulin Rouge yeah so I was doing that ages ago <laughs> so I, the first one I did was All Good Things uh, yes. and I just inserted the songs but then I you know that wasn't enough it was, it was so then I wrote the sequel <laughs> the All Good Things sequel which is what you know happened next on the mm-hmm. Enterprise, it was basically all of the characters dealing with what Picard had told them about their future. So, my favorite was Deanna Troy's soliloquy about how she wasn't going to die. Well, good. <laughs> which was, I don't remember which song, but it was a Sinead O'Connor song. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Beverly and Picard fell in love. <laughs> And there was, that was a through line. There was quite a lot. And there, the, the, the Warp, Riker, and Troy love triangle was, like, uh, finished in, like, the second act. It was, it was very, like, yeah, that's not important. So, so it's over. Uh, Troy and Riker are back together. Thanks. I really liked the, the Warp, Tri- the Warp Troy relationship because it felt so organic to their relationship as, professionals and friends and Deanna's involvement with teaching Worf how to be a less than terrible father yeah more than terrible anyway uh and uh I just that the 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 love triangle just felt so inconsistent because you know because Deanna and Will have never had a problem with dating or falling in love with other people exactly it was completely un unrealistic um, and I, t- I, I was sort of against Deanna and Worf when I was watching it as a kid because I was just so into Deanna mm. and Riker. It was like, what? That's weird. I don't understand. But as an adult, uh, I, I agree that it is a very, it's a sweet uh, organic relationship. And the only thing that I can say to have against it now is that everyone that Worf dates dies. So... Don't date Dor- Worf. Like, just don't. Well, it's a bad Deanna's idea. the only person who survives. So, <laughs> But she doesn't in the, in the timeline where they actually have a full relationship. Oh, true. <laughs> oh, maybe it's just not meant to be. What is wrong with Worf? He was born with tragedy in his veins. Yeah. And oh, unfortunately, he's a serial killer. Unfortunately, it's taken out on the women in his lives. Yeah, I think that's really my my beef with the whole concept. And I realise there's reasons for it that vary, but come on. Yeah. So let's uh, let's not end on that downer note. I'm just (laughs) saying, I still have parts of this musical. I am delighted. And uh, I will certainly never put it on, but I probably will never throw it away either. 
I, I feel like this is sort of the same impulse that leads, you know, the, the big elaborate Tumblr headcanon about the Deep Space Nine staging of Hamilton. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, for one, think that Jadzia will make a remarkable Jefferson. <laughs> oh, you know, she, you could do, um, there's that, in past tense, she wears that amazing, like, three-piece suit with the feathers in her hair. That's what I'm thinking. That that was that would be perfect. Yes. Yes. Okay. Wrapping up. Go for it. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave an iTunes review. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks for our 21st episode, a discussion of our problematic faves. My cat is my problematic fave right now. All cats are problematic faves. (laughs) And I also want to say... I want to hear your story of growing up Trekkie, so use that hashtag. 